Hi, welcome to the Oh God podcast. I'm Reeves. And I'm Maddie. And we're two church leaders who are seeking to create a space for people to get curious and question everything. Welcome to a faith community that redefines faith in a world that isn't as black and white as a church may make it seem. I have a question for you. I am afraid and also ready. Okay. What were you like as a small child? Like, what were you really obsessed with in elementary school? Because I feel like everyone has that weird obsession. Um, Is myself an incorrect answer? (laughs) (laughs) And I mean that genuinely. I, (laughs) so... Because I feel like I know a lot about, like, middle school, high school, Maddie. I don't feel like I know about, like, elementary school, young... Young Young elementary school Maddie. I I read a lot of books. I stared at myself in mirrors a lot. Like there are photos of me just like checking myself out in the mirror. I love that love for you. Um, I loved Barbies. I loved Barbies. I had every Barbie. I, okay. I love this so much because literally um, me and my brother Nicholas, we had like a village well all of my siblings but like i we were the ones that like really played uh-huh. with barbies we had one of the perks of being a pastor's kid was we got a lot of like hand-me-downs from other people so whether it was like toys clothes whatever right. but we when i was like eight years old hit the jackpot because there was this like family um that they gave us like five storage tubs oh full of barbies clothes accessories <gasps> so happened. we had a actual like village in our basement of barbies that's incredible it was amazing we had like a whole system set up where we had like rules laws we had like jobs and we had like bank accounts where like they would earn money at the pinball machine we had and then we would like write it down and they would have to make purchases we it was a little intense that was way more complex than my barbie universe (laughs) um but no i was a a barbie britney spears still a britney yeah i love that god free britney i love britney yeah um Barbies, Britney Spears, I read The Little Mermaid. I, I oh, still I love The Little Mermaid. To this day obsessed with mermaids. Yes. They are real. No one will convince me that they're yes. not. I will argue until the end of time. Mm-hmm. We know more about outer space than we know about our oceans. Right? Terrifying. That is the number one reason why I'm afraid of the ocean. No one will ever convince me that there is not a human-like entity that exists yes. in the water. The fact it literally I refuse to go in the ocean because of this. Like, we do not know enough about what's down there. Also, I have a deep fear of squid. So, like, anything with tentacles, get me away. So you're not a calamari fan? No, dear God. (laughs) It's terrifying. That's amazing. Um, Mm -hmm. God, yeah. Barbies, Britney Spears, mermaids. Um, Yeah, that was was the the big big ones. I'm sure I'll think of more as time goes on, but it was all, uh-huh. yeah, a lot of Barbies. so good. I was really obsessed with dolphins. Okay. Like, though I loved Barbies, dolphins was like, I was like the the horse girl of dolphins. Oh, you were the, the horse I girl was. of the sea. <laughs> Even though I'm terrified of the ocean. Um, I loved dolphins, like, a lot. I had a lot of dolphin stuff in my room. I read a lot of dolphin books. I, one time for the fifth grade in our, um, I, when I was like in elementary school, the fifth graders had to do this big like end of the year project and mine was about dolphins. Um, and I literally spent week like I probably worked harder on that project than I did for some of my like senior <laughs> like year of college papers. Like uh-huh. I remember spending hours working on this and my dad even helped me like I wanted it to be like a full sensory experience. So they would look at my like three fold board poster and then they would put on this little like CD like earphones like and I had like dolphin noises no. on the CD so that they could listen to dolphin noises while they read my like project. I was kind of a freak about dolphins. I one time, okay, this is embarrassing. Um, oh my God. dad had beta fish in his office and um I remember like he would ask us to like feed the fish on Wednesdays or whatever so I'd like go into his office and feed the fish and one time I was like looking at the ingredients I saw that there was krill listed the ingredients and I was like I want to be closer to like dolphins oh and God, mammals please. so like I ate a little tiny piece so that I could be more like my mammal fish love okay I wish that I could convey the I look on my face. I did not have friends. <laughs> like, 
I did not have friends when I was a small child, except for my Barbies. <laughs> Just kidding. My brother was my friend. Okay, wow. I'm sorry. I <laughs> feel like, like I know back. Okay. so much yeah. about you. Um, oh, God, I don't even know if there's a good segue. I'm in my little dolphin shame corner now. <laughs> you ate okay. fish food. I really did, though. Not no. like all the time. It was just like once. But I remember that being my clear rationale. I was like, I will be closer to the sea. Not ironically, yeah, though. Ironically, I think now as a doll, I'm actually terrified of it. I think it's the same irony as me being obsessed with mermaids, but having zero idea how to swim. Really? Yeah. I mean, I can f- listen. Oh, okay, okay. I can float. Yeah. Um, I can do the bare essentials, but yeah, I am yeah. not a swimmer. Like in sixth grade, we had to take swimming lessons, and I was so bad that they just like stuck me in a lane on my own because I was holding <laughs> up the class. Um, yeah. There's just a level of coordination uh-huh. there that I've never been athletic. It's just not my thing. Yeah. I was Same. reading books Same. about Britney Spears and Mary Kate Nashley. Fish food. So <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I, yeah, I was a lifeguard for a small period of time, but barely passed that test. Like it was only so like I could be a lifeguard at the camp that I worked at, but man, I was so bad at it. Like I almost did not pass. Yeah. I didn't even try because I knew that they were mm-hmm. not going to put me in charge of anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I make a wonderful tanner though. So mm-hmm. I will lay mm-hmm. out all day long in the summer, yeah. but please don't put me in yeah. the pool. I'll sit on the beach, but yep. Wow. Wow. Okay. So, t- <laughs> so speaking about going on that journey with me, the fact uh, that we the, don't know anything about the ocean. ocean. Oh, Let's talk about science. Science, science. Ooh, okay. Um, no, so, science yeah, um, we are going to start a science pod. I'm just kidding. Um, welcome to the science show. Um, today we are going to be talking about the relationship between science and faith and sort of our like current um, understanding and attitude as Christians towards like science and towards like evolution specifically, Big Bang, all those things. Um, but how that has been very influenced by history, like more recent history in the United States. So um, I'm very excited for this because I think it's so interesting um, this relationship of um, how we view science and how it's almost always seen as like opposition to faith. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I am excited as well to like hear the history, hear the context, and then to dig into like post-context conversation because I definitely think this is an episode where both of us, like we just have a lot of thoughts around what it looks like um, and what it means for even our conversation in the last episode around our stance on environmentalism and how we exist in the world and how we develop a form of ethics that includes science. And I think in order to do that, we have to know where we're coming from. Yeah, absolutely. And um, so like in the Discord, which we've talked about, like we use that like with Patreon and whatever, um, we asked people if they had any questions specifically around like environmentalism um, and Christianity. And we had a really good one from our friend Ashton where um, she was asking about like why topics like evolution cause so much dissent in Christianity today. Um, And just essentially how a lot of people like are using – they use science either as a way to like affirm what they believe or reject – you know, say that like science isn't real because it doesn't hold up like the creation story and all that. So, which I think is such a fascinating conversation. The fact that like, and you know, we talked in last episode about the creation story and everything, but um, I think that's such a good question because they're really, it is such a weird, complicated relationship that doesn't need to be complicated. So um, I want to kind of start by actually laying out the science that we're going to be talking about, which like I studied um, religion and sociology. So I was not a science major. And I want to like proclaim that first. But um, I did a lot of like reading and learning. um, And I just kind of want to like overview a little bit about like the Big Bang and evolution. So um, first off, I want to start with the fact that a theory, we talk about theory in like a colloquial sense, that's hard word, as just kind of like... um, you know, I have a hunch or like an idea or a hypothesis, but like in scientific world, it is something that is used to explain um, an aspect of science that can be repeatedly tested and verified. So it's not something that's just like, oh, well, like this is my thought about it. It's like repeatedly tested, verified and observed 
in the natural world. So um, though, yes, we see throughout like the history of science theories can then be debunked and like expanded upon, um, we are talking about things that are theories that have been observed, tested upon repeatedly. And that's the thing I think with theories too, is that they're called a theory because while up to this point we can completely verify them, yeah. we hold enough space within science mm -hmm. for it to change in the future, yeah. which I really appreciate because I think like gravity is still listed as a theory. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we can all agree that like yeah, gravity is a thing. Like, we kind of agree. Yeah. Like gravity is a thing. Yeah. Um, which I don't know. I just appreciate that openness to continuous knowledge and like mm -hmm. the evolution of knowledge yeah. while still understanding that like, just because it's a theory does not mean that it has not been tested and confirmed yeah. over and over and over again. Yes, absolutely. Um, so I watched this really good um, like Ben Green, Hank Green video about like the history of like the universe, which was really good. And they broke it down. Um, so like it's commonly agreed upon that the universe is about 13.8 billion years old. But a really good point that they brought up in their video is like that is so long ago that we can't even wrap our minds around it. So they talked about it in aspects of like they abbreviated it into years. So they abbreviated it into like 13 years instead of 13 billion. So I'm going to talk about it in that way because I think it brings it into perspective a little bit more. So, so for every billion years is one year? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. So um, the universe was created... 13.8 years ago, um, billion, but again, we're talking about in years. So um, that is when the Big Bang happened, which it is agreed upon the fact that it's the universe started as this like tiny little dot um, and then heated up so rapidly that it started expanding and then began the process of like cooling down. And then that's when we saw other things start to happen. So 13 billion years ago or 13 years, the universe expanded. Um, then... 12 years ago, um, we see stars and galaxies start to come into play and like start to form. Um, and then only 4.5 years ago, we see the earth actually come into existence, which I think is so interesting because like that is so much like, you know, like there's a long gap of time between that, between 12 billion and 4.5 billion. What I love about that when we talk about the overlaps of science and Christianity is when we think about the creation stories that we broke down last week. Mm -hmm. In Genesis 1, it's all about um, creating order out of chaos, this mm -hmm. idea that chaos already existed, yeah. that there, the stillness was there, and from that chaos, God created order, and in creating order, created yeah. creation. Yes. And so this idea of the universe existing however many so years before Earth before, formed, yeah. in a lot of ways does align with this idea of God creating order yes. out of chaos. Yes. And like, we'll talk about it more, but for me, I view science as like this beautiful thing where we can begin to, I don't know, I don't think it negates what I believe in my faith at all. In fact, every science class I feel like I've ever taken, I feel like just makes me stand so much more in awe of everything that's around us. But um, anyways, so yeah, the earth comes into play about 14, 4.5 billion years ago. Um, so then we see only... Four billion years ago, first single uh, single cell life comes onto Earth. Then um, we see only half a billion years ago, multi-celled organisms. So that's like the equivalent of six months. Yes, exactly. If we're still thinking of like in that year format, that would be only six months ago, multi-celled organisms existed on life. Um, and so with that, it's important to note that all complex life on earth is incredibly recent. In fact, if we look at that scenario of like in the terms of like years instead of like billions, um, only dinosaurs only went extinct the equivalent of three weeks ago, which is crazy. <laughs> so, um, which means that humans split up off from like monkey ancestors if we like believe in evolution, um, which I do, spoiler, but um, we that only happened three days ago and the first Homo sapiens only existed about 50 minutes ago, meaning that all of recent history happened within the last second. Oh, that's, that's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot to unpack. Also connecting it to the creation story. Yes. Like this is what I, and like this is the thing that I love is even to say that God created everything in seven days. Well, my goodness, three days ago, we just split off from our ancestors. So 
if this just happened in the last second, we've still got four days of creation left. Ooh. <laughs> so, you know, maybe I think just this idea that time is a construct in that like someone created a way to order the way that we progress forward yeah. in a linear manner. Yeah. And so like to argue that anything happened in a certain window of time, well, time has looked different over the years and like what it looks like and how it's measured. Yeah. Um, and so I appreciate a, the ability to scale this down to make it, you know, ingestible. And yes. also that reminder that anytime we talk about time, we don't actually know. Like time is a way, is a theory for yes. us to... To help make sense of right. what's happening around us. Right. And I think it's so important to think about the fact that like we haven't been here very long, you we know? We like, not been here for an hour. Yeah. And yet we're, we're destroying the earth so quickly. <laughs> Anyways. Um, so with that, that's just kind of like the Big Bang on a grand scale. But like um, I want to talk a little bit about Darwin himself. Um, so just like a fun little tidbit that I didn't know, but he, um, he always wanted to study nature, but his dad actually wanted him to be a doctor or priest. I just always think that's interesting thinking about like sort of their family context or whatever. But, um, he obviously traveled to South America, to like study species and his theory just kind of on a basic overview is that, um, each animal is not an exact replica of its parents, but it's different in subtle little ways. Those differences in each generation are random, um, but some of those random differences convey distinct advantages, giving them a greater chance to survive. Over time, this beneficial variation spreads to the rest of the species because those with the advantage are more likely to survive than those without or natural selection. Um, yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Ugh. So when I was in college, I was a um, partial anthropology major because I was interdisciplinary yeah, yeah. studies. And I took a couple of classes with someone who my professor like had their PhD in evolution and reproduction and all yeah, those yeah. things. And the thing that he drove home over and over again was this idea that um, as created like animals, basically, our main desire or our core function is to reproduce. Mm -hmm. Like everything that we do is rooted in a desire to see our genetic line passed on mm -hmm. and on and on and on to carry our line forward. So even the way that we engage and interact with one another at work, when we do that in relationships, as we think about who it is that we choose to be in relationships with, whether or not we want to reproduce, like everything is kind of driven by this need to pass along a genetic line um, when it comes to thinking about some of those things. And so to me, this just, that just stuck with me is how this always stands up in my brain is like those who have the advantages are the ones that are most likely to ensure that your genetic line is going to live on. Yeah. So you are going to reproduce with someone who you perceive to be a sound option to supplement your genetics in a way that will allow mm. for your line to keep moving forward. Yeah. And this is just like at a basic, primal um, level. like primal yeah. level. Yeah. That's really interesting. Um, yeah. So he published his findings in 1859 was actually 20 years after he started um, coming up with this theory because he was actually so worried about it creating a public controversy, hmm. which I thought was interesting. Is like he knew the ramifications of like the people were going to backlash and be like, well, this doesn't hold up religion or like, you know, right. what do the church think? So he um, waited 20 years and ended up publicizing them because someone um, came out with a very similar theory and he was like, well, I want credit for all the work that I did. So yeah. I thought that was fascinating. Um, but his book inevitably did create a controversy. Um, and one thing that I thought was interesting is his book came out around the same time as um, the U.S. was in civil war. So we actually didn't really – it didn't really <laughs> make an impact here because oh. we were pretty busy. Um, so it wasn't really until the 1870s um, that religious leaders in America started to consider the theological implications of his book. Um so, and it didn't filter down into the more mainstream public until the end of the 19th century. So, um, but at that time, there were so many shifts happening, like we already talked about with like prohibition and everything like that. There was so much changing in the early, like um, late 1800s, early 1900s, especially within the church. Like there were so many issues coming up. Um, that's when we see the split between denominations. Um, 
the, you know, more modernist or which has now become sort of more mainline Protestant or Protestant, sorry, and the evangelical split, Mm. um, which I think is really fascinating. So obviously this issue came up a lot in the midst of that split because the more mainline Protestant or like modernist um, were like, no, we want to embrace this, um, embrace this new thought, embrace this new scientific theory and figure out you know, how can we move forward in light of this new knowledge? Like, how can right. this help us expand our view of God? Whereas evangelicals were more like, well, this clearly like negates what we believe. So we're not going to believe in it. Right. Um, which I think is fascinating. So there's this guy named William Jennings Bryan, which like just a fun fact about him, but I thought this was kind of hilarious. He like ran for president three times. Um, <laughs> he like, he never won. He came really close and he actually like was a pretty prominent figure in politics during that time. Um, there's a really good quote about him where, um, uh, in like his biography where Scott Ferris argues that many failed to understand Brian because he occupies this rare space in society where he was too liberal for today's religious and too religious for today's liberals. Huh. So anyways, I just thought that was fascinating, but he became this big outspoken name against, um, evolution um, both in politics and in theology, because again, he kind of towed that line between the two. Um, and his main fear was that it would lead towards things like, um, you know, eugenics and trying to like, uh, change and alter humanity so that we would, I guess, like be healthier moving forward, which sadly, like that one big consequence of evolution was it actually did found some really racist ideas and it did found a lot Mm -hmm. of those Nazi ideals of eugenics and um, kind of weeding out humanity, which is not great. And again, I'm probably going to do this the whole episode just as I see those connections, but in thinking about the warning in Genesis 2 towards knowledge Mm -hmm. and the power that knowledge yields, listening, I think... I think one of the things we don't do well, and we'll talk about this later, is like listening to the past in order to create a better way forward. And in this moment, like you have someone who's saying like, hey, this knowledge, it holds a lot of power. We need to be careful how we yield it. And when we ignore those, we get to these places Mm -hmm. where things like that are born out of these things. And it's like, we want more knowledge, but at what cost? Because we don't yield it properly. Yeah, exactly. That's a really great tie-in. Um, so it is clear, like he did have some fears that like were very much as I was reading, I'm like, yeah, I see that. Um, but he also just believed that instead of, um, that basically we needed to not teach about this in schools because it would lead people like to not believe in God instead of, you know, this idea of like, well, maybe it could couple with faith and whatever anyways. So, um, there, then we see like a massive push in U.S. history towards legislation of trying to prevent evolution from being taught in schools, um, which is where we see the Scopes Monkey Trial, um, which is this so trial fascinating. Is wild. So 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 fascinating. Which um, we've talked about Rachel Held Evans before, but she has a really book, really good book called Faith Unraveled, and she talks about she lived in the town where the Scopes Monkey Trial happened. So like she has a whole section where she talks about it and some of the ramifications on faith today. So um, that's a really good book in general. But she also talks about this a little bit. So um, that trial happened in 1925 when. Tennessee legislature approved um, a law making it a crime to teach about evolution in schools. Hmm. So as a rebuttal, the ACLU, the American Civil Liberties Union, offered to defend any science teacher in the state who was willing to break that rule. Um, So John Scopes from Tennessee agreed to take up their offer, and thus the Scopes Monkey Trial was born. It was, um, and it's really important in U.S. history, too, because it was the first true media trial. Um, This Hmm. was the first time that it was um, broadcasted on live radio. There were so many newspapers there. Like, it was a massive to-do. So uh, Scopes was defended by Darrow, who's one of the most famous lawyers in the country at the time. And then in the state prosecutors was actually William Jennings Bryan, who I mentioned was like this massive name um, against evolution. So... um, from the start, they both seem to agree that it was being tried more in the court of opinion more than the court of law. So, like, that's pretty, like, agreed upon that it was really more of a media circus. Mm-hmm. Um, so most – the sitch or, like, the um, – what's the word? Mm, the gist. Oh, God. Um, the gist of the trial was that um, essentially Scopes was really being, like – 
beaten by the state prosecutors. Like it was not going well for him at the beginning. Um, but then DeRoe made this bold decision to pull William Jennings Bryan onto the stand as a witness to the Bible. So then DeRoe started asking him a lot of very detailed questions about biblical events, um, which like to point out the fact that there are inconsistencies, which we've talked about twice now, you know, the fact that there are so many inconsistencies in the creation stories and how they're not meant to be read literally. Mm -hmm. Um, so it clearly pointed out the fact that like the biblical, you know, account was not necessarily factual, but Brian defended the biblical account as literal truth. However, he did end up admitting on the stand that there were parts of the Bible that might need to be interpreted in order to be fully understood, which I thought was fascinating hmm. because he's this big proponent of like biblical literism, but then he admitted when it came down to it that like it does need to be interpreted in order to be fully understood. So, um, he scopes ended up being convicted of violating that law and he was fined, although it did end up being later overturned due to a technicality. Um, however, we see because of this, um, sadly, this didn't show other people like, oh, we should teach evolution, obviously, because we all know like, you know, our current history. But instead, there was a lot of other anti-evolution laws that came out. Um, and it took a long time for federal law to catch up because at the time it was so up to the state um, whether or not they could teach something within their state boards. So um, that's why it took so long to catch up is because the states could sort of make their own opinion of what they wanted to see happen in their state. Yeah. Um, so we see like in more recent history, this idea of young earth creationism. So I talked at the beginning a little bit about like the Big Bang and sort of that timeline. Um, there is a thought... Um, a like, I guess, I don't know. It's not really scientifically founded. A lot of like science um, people, scientists really disregard this and like discredit it. But it is young earth creationism is essentially this idea that um, creation happened um, as a literal interpretation of the book of Genesis. So that it was created in seven or sorry, six literal 24 hour days. Um, and that the earth is only about 6,000 to 10,000 years old. Um, so there's actually a much more recent um, debate about evolution and creation done with Bill Nye and Ken Ham about three years ago. It was in mm -hmm. 2019. It was really interesting. Um, but Ken Ham, who is like the founder of the creation museum in Kentucky, um, which Basically, which is not is accredited museum. It's kind of whack. Also, a crazy yeah, like it's insane. Just like it, and just like trying to wrap your mind around what is in that museum. Yeah, it's pretty it's, insane. It's very intense. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyways, he very much believed in young Earth creationism. The fact that the world was only six thousand, ten thousand years old, also like referred to as um, like young Earth to abbreviate its name. There was also this idea. So creationism was. Um, there was kind of a push in more recent years um, to put creation science in textbooks instead of evolution. So we're like, well, this could be an alternative. And that was shot down, obviously, because it was not um, actually a scientifically founded argument. Um, but more recently, people have been pushing for this idea of intelligent design to be put in text textbooks alongside evolution. So sort of this idea of like, well, everything was intelligently made um, but it's really scientists have rejected this idea of intelligent design as quote creationism cloaked in, in scientific language. Right. Um, well, what yeah. I love with this too, or I don't love it, but what is so fascinating about this conversation is that there is a push to put Christian values in schools in a nation yes. that has separation of yep. church and state. If we are genuinely going to have a conversation about offering education on all forms of creation story. Yeah then we've got to put every creation story exactly. in there. Yes. And so to me, like the, the expansion of this conversation goes beyond just whether or not we believe in science. It begins to step into this very Christian supremacist space of mm -hmm. like, we're not going to talk about whether or not we're going to include other creation stories. Mm -hmm. What we're going to do though, is make sure that ours is the one that's taught because we are the unspoken baseline. Yes. And like that just in conversations around this, regardless of what you believe to be true about science or not, like that is something to remember is that like we are not the only faith tradition that exists here. 
And to argue that ours is the only one that should be taught yes. is to assume that we are better than other people. Yes. And it's so frustrating. Like I'm a, I'm a history nerd. I love U.S. history, but it is so frustrating to me to look back at history and to constantly see this trend of the church trying to like, you know, move things backwards or to like protect education or to put certain things in education so that it'll teach more Christian values. And like, that's what private school, like that doesn't belong in public schools. And we're supposed to be this nation that has separation of church and state. And so thankfully that is why a lot of these things were shot down is because it became pretty clear when it was in court that like the federal government was like, no, we're not. That is clearly overtly religious teaching. We need to have evolution in textbooks because that is current like scientific thought, you know? Um, and so what that brings us to, oh, and sorry, another tangent and just about like the church in general. Um, I was talking with my sister recently and she was a um, communications major at like a small like Christian school in like North Georgia. Shout out to Young Harris. But um, anyways, she uh, studied a lot of the interaction between like the media and um, the church. And one thing that's like fascinating is they see over and over again in history, they would always talk about this idea of like, um, when there's any sort of like big movement happening, society always has this, has to push first and then the church will inevitably follow. But there's always this tension of like, you know, this like in this example, science is like saying like, hey, this is what happened. And the church is like really lagging behind, but it has to make this push. And then inevitably the church will end up following. But there's always this tension of like, no, we need to remain like back here. And this is the way it's always been. And um, not wanting to see that there could be a different way and instead just fighting against it. And, oh, yes. And so I have a theory about that <laughs> um, because I also think when we, we look at the the communities within Christianity that are doing that pushback, it tends to be in incredibly white evangelical spaces. Mm-hmm. And I think this is because, <laughs> like, in order for us to progress forward with any sense of of progress, right? To move forward in progress, we have to know where we came from. That's why so many of these episodes are rooted in context and in history in order to have the conversation. You've got to know where you're coming from in order to know where you're going. And we need to know where these groups are coming from in order to know where they're going, right? Like it's typically these more fundamentalist communities that I have seen that hold true to this idea of their way being the correct way because they are the ones rooted in this colonial mindset. Mm -hmm. In order for them to move forward, they have to address what happened in the past and the role Mm. that they played in all of these harmful things happening, preventing progress. And that's just not something that I think they're interested. I'm understanding that they're interested in doing. And so to sit and name like, hey, our theology around evangelism has led to white supremacy and racism and colonialism. Yes. We have to unlearn that in order to be able to yes. move forward. Like there's a resistance there. And so because of that, you're like, you're you're going to resist anything that says that you're wrong because you're like making this cognitive disconnect to yes. not admit what you've done wrong. Oh, okay. That made me think of, um, I was having a conversation recently with my um, with my brother about this idea of how um, someone had used the phrase, like, I'm saying this in love, you're damned to hell. And he was talking about how that really sounds like an abusive boyfriend. Yeah. How, um, And we got into this wonderful conversation about how really there are some church spaces that are incredibly abusive because there's this mentality of like, you are hated, you are less than, um, God hates everyone and is out for like, you know, he needs like restitution and like you have to believe in Jesus in order to get into heaven. And it's this very like, um, it comes into this toxic abusive space of like everyone is damned and um, how like abusive and like horrible that must be for your spirit because then it becomes so difficult to get out of that situation because it is abusive and it is your community and it is what you're like brought up in and indoctrinated with. And um, there's so much to unlearn and unpack there. And I feel like that helps to give me a much more empathetic approach of like, you know, having more grace for people because, you know, everyone's journey is their own. Everyone has to unlearn in different paces and in different ways. And um, just because you're unlearning doesn't mean someone else is in that space. And it doesn't do any good to shove your narrative down anyone else's throat. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And I think I love that because I think like we would have 
really incredible productive conversations. I feel like if we could just get to a place where like, I'm not trying to make you believe what I believe or vice versa. Like, let's just talk and unpack how we both got here. Yes. Yes. Let's talk about how we got here. And that requires an honest reflection back in order to move forward. Mm. There's also, so in one of my classes, we talked about this idea um, called the recency effect, which is really kind of this notion that we, as people, we only see what's right in front of us right now, or we like choose to do that. Right. And a lot of that is a result of media and that news is moving so quickly that we're like keeping up with whatever's right in front of our face. Um, But it also um, presents itself in all of these other isms. And so we talked about it in the context of racism and this fact that there are so many people who will argue that racism is over because slavery ended 400 years ago. And yet there are people alive today who had family members who were slaves. Mm -hmm. Like it was not that long ago. And clearly racism still exists. Right, exactly. And clear on on side of the fact that racism still exists. But also, um, you know, then you factor in science and this idea that trauma can be passed down genetically. Um, And so like when a grandmother um, or when a mother is pregnant with a daughter, you have a grandmother, a daughter, and a granddaughter because all of those cells are being formed at the same time. And the trauma that exists Mm -hmm. in your grandmother in some ways was passed down into your genetic code, which again would make sense thinking about evolution and some of these things. And, And in order to understand how to undo that, we have to reflect back and do our healing, not just in our own life, but also in some ways generationally, right? And so you have to look back, but we sit in a space where we only want to see what's happening right now. Mm -hmm. And I think when it comes to a lot of the conversation around science and how it relates to the church, what inevitably ends up happening is the church is confronted with its history of harm, but because it's not completely visible to them right then in that moment they choose to to not reflect on it and to not look back at it Mm -hmm. and it just leads to these spaces where we're we're arguing with without sound points like you're just kind of spinning your wheels sometimes because the only basis that a lot of these arguments feel like they're being made out of is a knowledge of the past yes yeah so um i was watching this really good um rob bell is an incredible incredible theologian, like has so many amazing things out there, but, um, he has this really good, like he went on this tour a while back called everything is spiritual. And there's, um, you can find like the whole thing on YouTube and it's absolutely amazing and blows my mind every time. But, um, he essentially is talking about this whole idea. He like kind of starts with the big bang and like goes through just like this idea of like how interconnected we are as a universe. But he goes off in this little mini tangent where he's talking about like why, um, you know, fundamentalist arguments can rub us the wrong way and like how we can't really put words to that, but we just know it's wrong or off somehow. And the words he put to it was that fundamentalism is this idea that there was a perfect, pristine time and place somewhere back in the past. Mm. And how if we can just get back to that place and do it how they used to do it, we can be like, you know, perfect again. Mm -hmm. Whereas like his whole argument and the argument of like other theologians I love, like Leonardo Boff, who I talked about a lot in the last episode, have this argument that like, no, the universe has always been moving forward. It's always been expanding and growing and deepening in complexity in life and creativity, the more that it moves on. And so our call is to move forward into like steward the world well and to co-create a better existence, to learn from the damage we've done in the past, to learn from the fact of like, clearly we can look back and see that slavery wasn't a good thing. Mm -hmm. So we learned from that and we're moving forward and we need to continue learning from racism and moving forward. And we need to learn from, you know, all these other things we've seen in the past that we're like, wow, how could we ever believe that that was good and move forward from those things? So like there are constantly things right now that we are probably needing to like learn from and recover from and move forward in a way that is healthy and holy and progressing our society and our world in a way that is honoring to God. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And I think even thinking again, what this looks like in the context of our relationship to science, I think it's understanding that like science in a lot of ways, and you touched on this and I hold a similar belief. I think it is such a beautiful way for us to see the way that God is at work in the world. Yeah. And there's just such incredible detail to our universe in the way oh that everything gosh, goes yes. together. Yeah. And 
I think to deny science is to essentially argue that like God created one thing and then just walked away, yeah. which is very counter to this idea of artists and creators yes. and people yes. who make things like you're constantly thinking of the next thing you yes. want to do. Right. And I think in some ways we deny this identity or this piece of who God is and this opportunity to connect with God yeah. when we argue that, you know, science is, isn't real. Yeah. Um, I also, again, think it is just such a beautiful mirror to the creation story and knowing how it's broken down and that on one hand you have this tension of knowledge being good and evil based on what we do with it. Yeah. And this idea that everything has a place and everything has an order. And if you look at the way that the universe exists in the context of science, everything has a place and everything has an order. And I think it completely affirms this narrative that we're given in Genesis Mm -hmm. That is a, it is a poem. It is, you know, lore that was created to like connect to a community. And yet it still holds that truth, even though it's not factual, that there is a space for everything, that -hmm. things do continue to evolve and grow, that we should be stewarding it. Like you said, because there is growth to happen, multiply, multiply in what way? Like maybe just evolve. Yes. Mm. Um, yeah, and I feel like that to me is so fascinating. This idea of like, why is science so, I guess, pitted against religion? Like, why are they put on these two different pedestals? And I watched this really good TED talk with a guy who, um, he is both a PhD in theology and in biology. And he talks about this idea of that it's a complete false dichotomy. It's not, there are not just two different things. It's not only science and only religion. Um, and I mean, I think that falls so perfectly into, I think we have so many false dichotomies in religion and in the Christianity today, Mm -hmm. um, which is one of the whole reasons we're here, right? Is we need to be able to find space to live life in the gray areas, to leave space, to maybe not have some answers and to like understand that there's more than two ways of thinking. Um, but anyways, he goes on to talk about this idea of like one, how science is purely supposed to help us understand the physical world. It is only to understand the natural order of things and how things work in the physical world. Mm -hmm. Faith is for your spirituality. Mm. Those are not the same thing. It's not two, they're seeking two completely different answers. So it's not pitted against faith. You know, if anything, like they're two different things. They can complement each other. Or if you're not a spirit, like they don't have to go together, but they can, you know, it's just completely. um, And then you talked about this idea of how you know, we can believe um, in like creation as either being this and evolution as being this teleological thing or a dysteleological thing. So teleological means that we believe that there was a purpose in design behind creation, like it's not just random. Whereas dysteleological means that it's a little bit more random and things just kind of like evolved the way that they evolved. So you can believe in evolution as being this aspect of teleological, like as God coming along and bringing things into life and expanding the universe in complexity of like using these building blocks to make things more complex and beautiful and vibrant as the universe goes along. And how beautiful is it that we're called to be co-creators in that evolution, in that reality of like, let's, let's move forward and expand and grow in love and understanding of how to better love humans for the next generation of how Mm. to better steward the world for the next generation. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. I had a thought while you were talking. I'm going to find it along the way. So <laughs> so you talked a little bit in that about how the physical world and the spiritual world, that they can complement each other, but they're seeking two different answers. Yeah. Right. And I think about how so much of the Christian communities that refute science tend to exist in this very evangelical space, very fundamentalist space, um, which is also often the group that produces this idea of white supremacy, Christian supremacy, the continuation of capitalism and colonialism and all these things. Mm -hmm. And a product of colonialism was going into these communities with traditions that were inherently spiritual Mm -hmm. and vilifying the spirituality that existed there in order to convey their own faith tradition. Right. So, Uh, appropriating pagan holidays, Mm -hmm. taking out any forms of culture that might deviate, forced conversion um, of native communities, those kinds of things, really stripping away any space for spirituality. 
for the sake of like driving their own narrative forward. But I wonder if this also goes back to this tension of not wanting to look back is recognizing that like science can complement your faith, but within the Western church, I think we lack such an authentic, deep understanding of spirituality Mm -hmm. because we have completely vilified any forms of it in the world around us. And so I think that this is also, we had another question that talked about how do churches begin to address this? And I think one of the ways that we do that is through decolonizing our spaces and integrating spirituality back into the religions that we're practicing. Like the fact that there is a complete, and this is also a mini tangent, but there's a complete disconnect between what happens on a Sunday morning when we take communion and some traditions that exist within more like pagan or spiritual spaces where we've vilified in certain communities, even like burning incense or yoga Mm -hmm. or meditation or some of these things. And it's like, well, you know, what do you think happens when you walk into a building and you all sit in silence Mm -hmm. and push prayer out Mm -hmm. by sitting in stillness within yourself? I mean, that's basically meditation. Um, You burn or you light a candle on an altar. Mm -hmm. Um, and you are anointed in certain scenarios. Um, you drink a drink and you eat a food that you believe to be the body and the blood of mm-hmm. of your God. Which we know it's not literal. So you therefore know, it's a spiritual thing taking But there place. are some spaces who believe oh, it's literal, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. So but even Actually, in that yeah. but even in that space, mm-hmm. it is a a spiritual miracle happening, mm-hmm. right? We believe in the sacraments and all these things. Yeah. And and I think that that is a spiritual answer to something that we're seeking in that way. But I think we first have to understand that like, until we begin to reestablish a relationship with um, authentic spirituality within our congregations, it's going to be harder to address how it overlaps with science because there's an imbalance in our knowledge of what both of those things are Mm -hmm. and what role they serve. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Yeah. Um, I want to end on this because, um, again, I'm a freak for Leonardo Boff. I just love him. But um, he has this really beautiful um, quote where he's essentially talking about our role and our duty as humans in the universe and how we have two options. Um, So essentially we have this option to like um, act out of love and acceptance and affirmation for the universe in a selfless, selfless surrender to the other into unlimited openness to the mystery of religions. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also have this option to absolutely refuse all of it, to make our life project one of rebellion against the meaning of the universe and to assume exclusionary stances. And he says, such is the human grandeur in tragedy. And Mm. I think that's so beautiful because I do see it as these two options of like either we are acting in a place of like open – openness um, and love and surrender to the other um, or we're operating out of this place of like exclusion and rejection and rebellion against the meaning of the universe and our call from God. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And it ties right back into the last episode Mm -hmm. in this idea that like we have, we have an option to do something with the knowledge that we've been given. Yes. And science is a gift And in many ways, I think it is one of the ways that God shows up to perform miracles in our lives is through the science that exists. Science rules. Woo! (laughs) Um, And, you know, I think that we do, like, deny not just the universe, but the role that we hold in it when we try to argue against this science or this knowledge that we've been given. Yeah. Yeah. you know, it's a gift at the end of the day and a responsibility that we hold as privileged humans in this greater system um, of creation and understanding that part of understanding science is how we ensure the protection of that promise to go forth and multiply. Yeah. Oh, um, there's two really good quotes because also something I don't understand is a lot, like a lot of our history within science is that like a lot of scientists were pursuing science as a means to better understand their faith. Like Galileo 
Sir Francis Bacon. Um, and there's two really good quotes from them. Galileo said, God's intention is to teach us how to go to heaven, not how heaven goes, mm. um, which I think is fascinating. And then Sir Francis Bacon um, is talking about this idea of how um, no person should be too well informed on either the scriptures or on nature, but how we need to earnestly, um, endlessly improve our understanding of both things. We need to better understand both nature and both scripture. So like they go together, they're not at odds, mm. which I think is beautiful that like two incredible scientists who changed the way that like we view the world also were seeking to better their understanding of the creator that they believed in. Ugh. That made me think, I mean, all the rabbit trails, that made mm -hmm. me think of even just the very reality of Jesus. Yeah. And that you have this, like, God, right? Like, this spiritual entity take on human form, which is physical, which is science, which is the world happening around us, to exist in a context of science, and then to transcend that into a spiritual space and to loop that back around together. Yeah. Like, I think... Um, even when we think about what we believe to be true about Christ, we can make the argument that he could represent this relationship between the two because he didn't deny spiritual practices, but yes. he also didn't deny the very real physical reality of life, death, and yes. those things together. Yes. Friends, thank you for listening. Um, we know that like this topic can become really daunting because it feels like oh my gosh, like our world is in such a dire place right now and there's so much to do. So like, how can I possibly do anything? Mm -hmm. um, I definitely recommend like starting, you know, Maddie mentioned in the last episode, starting with like getting reconnected to the land around you. Um, but also like start, you know, start small, start with something, start with just like reviewing your habits as a consumer. Like what are you buying that maybe you don't need? Maybe it's like wasteful or just starting by like continuing to acknowledge yourself, like grow in knowledge um, of how you can better steward the world around you. And like, there's so many great Instagram accounts that we'll try to link to. There's so many great resources out there that can help make it more um, achievable because essentially our role is to just, it's just to care. Um, mm -hmm. It's just to start doing something instead of sitting in that paralyzing fear of like, how can I do anything? Because like, you know, learning is a process. So like, it's not going to be perfect, but like just start somewhere and like be graceful with yourself. Be, you know, yeah, um, be gentle. Yeah. And ask, you know, just constantly reflect back objectively on why things make you feel a certain way. Yeah. Like that's been one of the best things that I've learned um, just in my time in therapy. And as I continue to grow as a person, like the more things that I learn that make me uncomfortable, they make me uncomfortable for a reason. And knowing that and understanding my body and understanding what I believe to be true helps me move in yes, the world. Absolutely. And so especially with this, like, I don't know, study something new about science that yeah. you didn't know. And then ask yourself, like, how might this connect to my understanding of God? How might this connect to my understanding of, you know, the way that God exists in science? And just begin to see where those spaces overlap and where they might not mm -hmm. and get comfortable with that yeah. discomfort and that tension. Yeah. Wow. So thank you for listening. Thank you for joining in on this conversation with us. Um, keep an eye out on our Instagram page because we'll have other ways to connect and engage. So if you don't already, check out at ogodpod um, where we have all our news and information and usually further this conversation and get to engage with you guys in a different way. So love you guys and yeah. thanks for being cool.